0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this month's podcast with Dr. Carol Parker Walsh, who is here to share her journey being over 50. So, Carol, thank you for joining us. I'm excited that you're here. Why don't you tell thank our, you. Walsh, you know, about you?
1: Yeah, well, um, I always love these questions. <laughs> <laughs> do, I, do I start from birth or whatever? <laughs> but um I am Right now, the work that I do, my, um, I have a small boutique firm that specializes in working and supporting high-achieving women in midlife who are looking to either level up in their career or transition and find a new career. I always jokingly say they climbed the ladder of success and realize that maybe they climbed the wrong one. And now they're oh. looking for an opportunity to...
0: That's that people- <laughs> oh, did all that work and they're not happy where they ended up
1: exactly exactly so um so i support women in that i also do some executive coaching um within organizations and some consulting uh, and really helping to foster the promotion of more women and women of color leaders in um in organizations so um i have a varied experience i used to be a labor and employment attorney for 10 years and i transitioned doing uh, organizational consulting And uh, healthcare institutions and doing a lot of coaching and work group development and team development before I decided to go back and get my doctorate, which focused on um, identity and, and how, particularly uh, identity, gender identity, and how women figure out who they are in this world and antithesis of all the messages that we get and kind of figure out the choices they wanna make in their uh, careers and how organizations can really support them in that. And after spending, Another, um, you know, a little bit more than a decade um, after doing the organizational work, and then I moved into academia as uh, a professor, then promoted to associate professor, and then uh, stepped into academic leadership, directing graduate programs, and then becoming an associate dean. And um, around the time, career. Yeah, so close to my the precipice of around my 50th birthday, I decided that. I wanted to work for myself. And so since then, I have been in my own business, really supporting and helping uh, women show their brilliance and empower that feel empowered and increase their confidence and just really um, show it powerfully in the world and particularly focused with women in midlife.
0: You know, um, I think that as women our age, most of us, experienced what it was like before women had equal opportunity in the working place not that we totally have it but it's definitely gone a, a lot farther than when we were first starting out
1: totally when the totally were
0: male and female want heads and there was really separate jobs for separate sexes so now yeah. that we're older and we've broken through these glass ceilings as they call it I find that we have new um, discrimination to deal with, and that's ageism.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so. And you know, you you hit the nail on the head that the workplace was really never designed for women, right? It it was it definitely has a very patriarchal structure. It was designed by men for men, without the expectation of women to come into the workplace and have maternity leave, and you know, needing you know balance in their life and things of that nature. And you're right, as the, uh, the population ages, it's become a challenge for the workplace to be able to really hold women after a certain age. You know, just people generally after a certain age because our society is so geared toward the young. I mean, everything, you know, they, it almost tells us, you know, once you reach a certain age, that it's time for you to move aside and make room for the next generation. And so many women that I work with, like have bought into that. and and really struggle with how do I still show my significance? How do I translate my skills? How do I still showcase my passion um, in a way that shows that they have so much more to offer? And there's so many assumptions and myths about people of a certain age that you know we, we don't like technology or we're slow with technology or we're stuck in our ways and we don't wanna learn, right? So there's so many myths out there that people need to work their mindset through and so many um, messages that we get as we get older that make us even challenge our own brilliance and what we have to bring to the table. So it really is a a problem right now. And in conversations with people who are leading diversity and equity teams and organizations, they even admit that, that the area that they do the worst job in is around ageism and really helping to change to to dispel those myths and change the narrative around the contributions that people can make as they get older.
0: You know, um, people have a real hard time using racist, excuse me, um, sayings or, or um, size sayings, like you wouldn't want to call someone fat because that wouldn't Mm be okay. But they're they seem to be able to call us old. And old sounds like a, a, an innoxious word, but it really isn't. The connotation behind that word just implies that you're irrelevant and we're not irrelevant. In fact, we're probably the largest population in the country, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, we are definitely the largest um, uh, buying block of the population. Like the, the, the wealth, the buying power of our generation and particularly women in our generation are outrank any of the other ages that are out there so you would think they would pay a little bit more attention to the fact that we're the ones who are contributing at the greatest level to you know our, our economy than anybody else you know so right it is it it is an old it, it is a horrible word and it's something that's derogatory and kind of speaks to as you said so beautifully that we're relevant and we're anything but irrelevant. So I love when I see people really changing the conversation around midlife and and empowering, you know, women particularly in midlife and helping to advance the conversation and how we have so much more to offer. You know, one of the exercises that I do with my clients is I have them draw a timeline. And I put there and i say just like, let's assume from zero to a hundred, you know, in terms of this line across the sheet of the paper and just add your age on that line. And when you look at it, literally, you see, there's so much more life to live. Like we still have so much more to give and so much, so many ways we can make an impact and so many things that we still have to contribute. And so we're anything but washed up and done. Like now, we're at a place because we have so much more experience than most. We have so much more wisdom than most. <laughs> and, you know, we've done more than most. And so, our voices and our contributions that we can make and still um, help organizations and still help building new leaders and still help in innovation and creativity is still on the table. And so, we have to be able to acknowledge that for ourselves. And really embrace that at a cellular level within ourselves, so that we have the confidence to be able to communicate that back to the world, as opposed to inhaling and indoctrinating all of this junk that the world is trying to give us.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So women who encounter this in their careers, what do you suggest that they do? I know that's a big question, but you must have some some tips and tricks that they can use besides dyeing their hair black. <laughs> hey, I, listen, I have a friend who was told to dye, she was only in her 40s, and she was told to dye her hair when she went for the job interview. By Yeah. A so it's not so unrealistic for someone to say that, but I know you'll have a more enlightened answer.
1: Well, and and to me, I just want to speak to that for a moment. It's fascinating that that's the case. When, for a while, it was a I don't know if it's still a fad right now, but young people were dyeing their hair gray. That it was a thing for people to actually dye their hair gray. It, it was like for a moment, it was a fad, and I thought that fascinating. I missed it. Yeah, I was. I that was a very fascinating uh um a uh, moment in time. But you know, one of it is um. You know, one of the key things is that there's way, for example, for resume, for example, there are things that that when you add those to a resume, almost kind of show your age, if you will. Because for one very easy one is on resumes nowadays, you don't add your address, and it's because we're in a global environment and community, and it's not safe. Um, so you add your your um email, your phone number and your LinkedIn profile. And so that is like almost an immediate giveaway of someone who is not. I never knew that. Yes. And so for, so that's like a telltale sign. The other thing is that there's no, you don't put objectives on there anymore. So again, this is like a sign where someone is kind of not with the time that may You know, contribute to that myth that people may have around ageism. Now it's okay to put an executive summary or a professional summary, actually, you know, they're called um, to highlight your strengths at the top of the resume, but you don't call it an objective, Um, you know, and then the other thing in terms of adding your education That you no longer put your the dates in which you graduated or when you went to school because you know again that gives people an opportunity to do math and figure out your age and so you don't want to have any kind of signs or traces that show that you know that you are of a certain age and this is these are tactics not to diminish you but tactics to overcome the ageism or the myths that people may have when they see your resume before they even have a chance to meet you the other thing is that if you have 25 years of experience, we always recommend that people put like 10 plus years of experience, right? Even if you have 25, that's totally fine. But most positions, they're very- I, guess I shouldn't positions.
0: say I have 40 plus years.
1: Exactly. Because most positions, if you read them, they'll ask for no more than like maybe 10 years of experience. They'll so say seven, eight, nine, 10. Very rarely will you see a job description that asks for 25 years of experience in something. So, there's no need for you to be able to say that. Of course, you have it. And that's why I say 10 plus, because the plus counts for all the other years. But again, saying that you have 10 plus years of experience, again, doesn't let people do math and then make some predeterminations before they even see you in the room. So, those are just a few kind of tricks that you can do to help overcome ageism, particularly if you're applying for a position. So, let them wrap their brain around whatever they think how old you may be once you walk in the door for the interview, as opposed to making some determinations just by looking at your resume. So, so those are a few things that are, that are really, are really um, actually
0: great ideas and great tips and tricks yeah. to use because you don't want someone to dismiss you without even meeting you.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's the whole that's the whole idea of that, is that you want to kind of move beyond it so that the playing field is level and you can actually come into, this, into the interview without any kind of preconceived notions. Now, the other thing, and this really kind of speaks to the whole dyeing of the hair thing, is that from an image perspective, you also always want to be relevant in how you are showing up. So, you know, if you are pulling out your suit from 10 or 20 years ago that you can still fit, kudos to you for that, but you want to stay current and not trendy, but just current in how you're showing up as well. And so whether you are rocking your gray hair in an amazing style, um, you know, or you decide to dye, it's totally up to you. You know, I think that's, that's a preference thing, but you always want to show up just very relevant in your attire as well. And so if even if you are like going to Nordstroms or something and you work with um you know one of the stylists there again not to get you trendy or not to get something on you that you would never wear I don't believe in that because you should always wear something that you feel confident in but you just want to make sure that you're updated a little bit even if if you go to the makeup counter and maybe like find a new lipstick maybe that you haven't had in in, in a while or things of that nature you know just like you know a new shoe you know, a handbag or a briefcase that may um, be something that's a little bit more on trend or on style today. I think today the briefcase the is not
0: something you should wear. Briefcases, i well, say, tote bags.
1: Yes, yeah, and, and that's what I, I'm sorry, I should have used that word, like really there's some great handbags that double duty for that. And so, you know, something um you know, there there's some really nice bags that double duty as a computer bag or things of that nature that, that uh, work for you that you can utilize as well. So just things of that nature, too, also mm-hmm. help with the visual appeal because, you know, honestly, our communication, 93% of our communication comes in non-verbally. And so when we see something, it makes an impression upon us, whether, you know, before you even say a word. And so kind of coming in in that, you know, a little bit elevated or... You know, on trend or sophisticated style also makes a difference as well.
0: Those are great tips. I'm glad that you shared that. So, yeah. how how is your business going? What kind of women are you finding come to you?
1: Yeah, I am lucky enough to, um, you know, have a good thriving business. I usually am working with women who are in their anywhere from their late 40s to early 60s, who are, you know, either trying to transition out of their career or they're approaching retirement and are thinking about what does that next chapter look like? And I love working with women who are, you know, are just finished that 2025 20, year career in a profession and are now really trying to design their next chapter, um, which is really exciting because there's so much that they bring to the table. There's so much experience and so many opportunities to really educate, to support, to mentor to coach and support that next generation to really impart their wisdom, uh, to really to really create opportunities for the next generation coming through. And I love seeing them come up with these ideas and helping to foster and empower them to step into this next iteration to do the things that they have always dreamed of doing so that they can create a legacy and impact um, in the world.
0: So they're reinventing themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. So this age is not the age where you start to wind down necessarily. It's no. Where you look at what's what's next for me. What else can I do?
1: What yeah, can, it's, is, to me, I look at it yeah. as a page turner. It's just a page turner. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's,
0: it's, now what, we're into the next step. What can be happening in my life? How can I make it great? How can I make Absolutely. it greater in the next 30 years? Because so it's, I'm 66. I'm planning on 100. So I have a lot of living left to do yes and so yeah. I want to be a vibrant happy fulfilling time of my life i want to have the boyfriend or the significant other i want to um make a lot of money still i want to be in as best shape as i possibly can be i mean i want all those things and oh yeah women forgot that we could still get that or didn't even realize we could still get that and they're starting to discover there's life after 50. In fact,
1: absolutely. In I know I know women who are in their 70s who are starting businesses, who are making well over six figures in their new businesses, who are, you know, teaching and consulting, who are um, really just making an impact because they cuz they realize they have so much to offer. And and I'll just say that really is the first step is to really understand what you have to bring to the table. And I love what you shared, Maria, that you have so much more life to live and you have so much more to contribute. And we have to believe that first, right? It, it can't be what other people think of us. It has to be what we think of ourselves. And that is going to be the thing that's going to carry you and sustain you into doing all of these amazing things, right? If you think you're amazing and have a lot to contribute when people are trying to tell you otherwise, you'll think they're crazy. But if you don't have that level of self-confidence, that level of self-belief, that level of, of embracing the brilliance that you know you bring to the table, if that's not fundamentally within you, then I would say start there and work on that and then, do what's next, but don't look for external validation or external people to say, oh, all of these amazing things, right? None of us should look to that. We should always look to it within ourselves. And that is what's going to set you on fire to go after whatever it is that you want to do next.
0: So I have a question. This comes up a lot with people in my group, my Facebook group and and such. And um, I wonder what you would um, suggest, advise. They tell me that they're in a job they feel like is a dead end job, but they don't know what to do next. and they're afraid to leave the job because they don't know if they can replace it. What would you suggest somebody do who's in that position?
1: Yeah, I get that a lot. Um, you know, there is this fear that after you've been in your position for a long time that, you know, there's no way out of it or nothing else you can do. And I think a lot of the things that, you know, I've already talked about are are things that you want to start doing before you even make a move. And the first thing that you want to do is really figure out what it is that you want to do next, right? Because maybe what you want to do next isn't going to another company, right? We we, We think of our careers from most of us do from a very societal perspective, meaning, if I'm in this job, I need to go get another job. Or if I'm in this role, I need to promote to the next role. And we think that's what we should do, but we've not done a lot of thinking or work around what we really want. So before you decide, if you're in a dead-end job for whatever reason, as you are defining it, you wanna really get clear about what it is you want next. I am always advocating with my clients that you never wanna run away from something you want to position yourself to walk into something. And when you're running away, you'll more likely make a wrong decision and really step out of the frying pan and step into the fire. And so you want to start by not running away from where you are, but getting clear about where it is that you want to go next. Like, what do you want to do? What's your passion and interest? Where would you love to work? I've had clients who were Project managers and you know operation managers and directors and you know black sigma black belt whatever I'm probably saying it wrong black (laughs) like had had a career doing this and decided that they want to move into environmentalists and conservation work and have moved into a position that is a completely different industry because it wasn't just about finding another job it was about really connecting to what mattered and made sense to them. And when she rediscovered that her passion was and has always been around, you know, environmental issues and conservation work and community gardens and things of that nature. She started looking over there in that direction and was able to create a bridge from where she is now to doing something completely different. I, I had another client who had a career.
0: And I was running from a job and not looking
1: for the right next job. Right? And so that's that's why I, I do this work because we're not, there's nobody out there really helping us to understand and to think differently about our careers, right? We're still using, you know, 20th century ideas and techniques that just don't apply today and don't really help us, particularly women at Midlife, into stepping into something new. But as we started off in the conversation, it's what we grew up with is it's what we were taught, right? Many of us, you know, we're boomers. So we grew up at a time where work was an obligation and an expectation. It wasn't like a desire and an expression of ourselves and our skills. Like no one talked that way when we were young, <laughs> but no. now we have the opportunity to really do that, right? I've had, I've had a woman that I worked with who was retiring after a career in pharmaceutical sales who wanted to do policy work in DC. And now that's what she's doing. Because she really reconnected to really, what do I want to do? What's important for me? Where's the contribution I can make based on my skills and knowledge and experience? And then she focused her attention in that direction, as opposed to just getting another job. So that's what I would say.
0: You know, men don't have it over us. We really are redefining what work and life looks like in the years going forward. We have redefined continuing to do that. So I want to ask you um, something about you. Yeah. Okay. Tell me your three superpowers that you've gained since you've reached the age that you're at. Do you mind me asking how old you are?
1: No, I uh, am 58. I'll be 59 this year.
0: Okay. So since you turned 50, what is, what's happened for you?
1: Um, so can I use four letter words here?
0: Um, try to say the f word instead of say whatever it's fine (laughs) we're reading everything so we might as well use curse words too
1: listen i i laugh because the first thing is that i've learned to give less f's i'll put it that way (laughs) (laughs) i i have really learned not to care what other people think and not allow what other people think of me or about me influence any of the decisions that I make in my life and I, I know think that's like the best thing we get
0: is that we the don't best give it
1: thing it's the best thing because women as we are growing up and particularly when in midlife we were taught to care about what everybody thought we were right. taught to you know, worry about what our partners thought, what our children needed, you know, what the world thought of us, and so it was really challenging. We were exactly, to be we self-sacrificing, to be, to be self-sacrificing handmaidens is is you know what I kind of joke and say, and and so it took a while for me to stop to realize that I had to put myself first. You know, there somebody made um a, a, a an analogy that I love. She said, think of yourself as like a teacup with a with the saucer. And she said that what we have to learn to do as women is to give out of the abundance of the teacup. And basically she said we have to learn to give from the saucer and not the teacup, meaning that we need to fill ourselves up. We need to prioritize ourselves. And then out of every out of the abundance of everything that we do for ourselves, what comes what spills over into the saucer, that's what's for everybody else. But we've been taught to give from the teacup. just like and the teacup is constantly empty (laughs) and so that's one of the big things yeah yeah and that's one of the biggest things for me is that i just learned that i am a priority and that i matter and that if i don't prioritize myself and take care of myself first then i'm not going to be able to help or take care of anybody else so you know giving left apps was a big deal um the other thing is that i learned I learned about what my genius and talent is, which is to inspire, influence, and teach. And once I realized what my genius was, I leaned into it 100%. And I stopped beating myself up over things that I maybe not be good at or that I don't know. And I realized that it's because that's not my genius. And once you learn like what your genius is, and then you realize this is what I'm meant to do in the world, you I could care less about not being proficient at my accounting or putting my books together in my business, right? I used to beat myself up thinking, well, I'm smart, I'm a smart woman. Why don't I know how to do X, Y, Z? And just because I know how to do something doesn't mean that that's my genius. So I've been become very proficient. At paying other people to do things that either I don't want to do or that I'm not good at, right? It's one of the reasons I get my groceries delivered. Why Me do too. I have to go at the store? Like, right? Like, why do? Why should I waste my time walking up and down an aisle when I can pay somebody else to do that, right? And <laughs> and that's not over. I'm not saying I'm rich over here, but I mean that's not an overly expensive thing. So I'm learning to let go of thinking I have to do everything, particularly things that I don't wanna do or don't have a proficiency in. And I decide to pay other people to do it or ask other people to do it.
0: I actually do a lot of that too. I have an assistant who does the things I'm not
1: particularly good at. Exactly. And I think that's what we have to, as women, we have to let go of this idea that we have to be great at everything and that we have to do everything. No. And like, we have to work 100 hours a week. And-, and we have to work 100 hours a week. I am a big proponent. of One of the big things, I think my greatest superpower is that I know how to work in my zone of genius. And that's where I live. Right. And that lets me have a much more fulfilling and free and exciting and happy life because I do the things that I love. And then I let other people do the things they love that I happen to hate. Right. i <laughs> be
0: good at so we're coming to the end of our show so um before we leave, I want to tell you that it's been a delight to have you on the podcast. You are fascinating and you thank you really good stuff for our people um I just want to ask you to tell our audience where they can find you if they want to learn more about you or perhaps even work with you.
1: Yeah, well, the best place to start is uh, on my website. So if you go to com, that's a great starting place. There are links to uh, free resources that you can find there. It also has the links. I tend to live on YouTube is another place where I give a lot of free advice. Um, a link to my podcast is on there as well. And um, LinkedIn are the other places that I tend to kind of populate on social media. But that's a great place to get started is just check out my website. You can learn more about me and, and, and access any of the resources that I have available. And I do have a program called Fearless, the Career Rebel Academy, which is for women at Midlife who are looking to make that transition and that reinvention in their career.
0: Well, that's great. I'm so glad you were on the show. And for everybody listening, I hope you've enjoyed this session. If you're not part of my Facebook group, go to For Women Over 50 and join our group and get more information about how to make the next act of your life your best act. Have a great day. Bye, everyone.